And welcome everyone to the newest edition of BAMS Radio. Here is it's going to be post Iron Bowl and a preview of the SEC championship game. Maybe the biggest challenge that we've uh, seen for Nick Saban. That's saying a lot in his uh, nearly 15 year career in Tuscaloosa. But yes, there is no doubt uh, that uh, this challenge upcoming against the undefeated Georgia Bulldogs with this limited football team that Nick Saban's got, and he does have one, one that has obvious deficiencies and isn't healthy. They're going to need to play their best game by far of their season to win yet another a 29th SEC championship, uh, you know, and, of course, continue their college football playoff streak, which they've been every year but one since this started. Of course, they missed in 2019, but it's going to be a huge challenge. But what a comeback. The first Iron Bowl overtime game in history. In four overtimes, Alabama comes back from oblivion down from 10 to nothing to win the game 24 to 22. And we're going to discuss it with my usual cohorts, our producer extraordinaire, the wizard Thomas Watts from the Fort City of Mobile. And from Birmingham, that is William Redfish Barger from 89 to 93. Uh, a national champion in 1992, and uh, someone that played some classic Iron Bowls himself as a player, got Alabama back on the winning track during his time in Tuscaloosa, and we're going to talk about all that tonight on BAM's radio. And guys, I'll start with you first, William. Uh, an, an improbable comeback for Alabama. Uh, one, you know, none of us saw coming. We all thought, I think, Alabama would win this game comfortably. And if you had told me before the game, that Alabama would hold Auburn to less than 160 yards and 10 points, I would have almost guaranteed a win uh, for the Crimson Tide. But that's not how this rivalry goes, and that's not how this game goes. And I know you uh, mentioned that last week a little bit when we were discussing the game. Yeah, I just wanted to say thanks for the early Christmas present from Tank Bigsby for running out of bounds. <laughs> that's um, a good point. <laughs> yeah. Although Gary Gary Danielson mentioned it about twenty seven times, um, but now nah, I mean it's it, and I agree uh, you, you know with what you said, Drew. I mean I think it's time to you know start calling a spade a spade. This is a very limited football team, especially um, on the line of scrimmage on offense, and uh, you know you saw that kind of really. Um, unfold in a, in a negative manner last night. I mean, I, I'm not sure I've ever even seen a, a team, uh, you know, and I guess we now know why that, that uh, Kendall Randolph never did get a chance at right tackle this year. Um, I've never seen a team go max protection and the damn tight end get abused the way that he did last night in pass protection. Um, but, 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 it, but it goes all the way around the board. Um, you know, Evan Neal had several QB pressures. I know he gave up at least one sack. Um, you know, I'd have to say the, the, the low bright spot for me on the offensive line was, um, you know, seeing an undersized, inexperienced third-team center come in and Seth McLaughlin and, you know, fight and scratch and claw to, to a halfway um, you know, productive second half performance and in relief of Darian Dalcourt. But, you know, you know, to me, I think the, the biggest positive, um, you know, of this game was if you 
just do a little bit of head scratching, um, you know, on the, on the last drive of the fourth quarter, you know, Alabama on offense was operating with their fourth team tailback with their third team center, their second team right tackle and their best wide receiver standing over there. At least when I saw him um, on the sideline, he was over there rapping next to Nick Saban. And, you know, for a, for a team, even though, you know, that wasn't the Georgia Bulldogs they were playing last night. I, I, you know, Alabama certainly is more talented. Um, I don't think the game should have ever been the struggle that it became and, and turned out to be. But, you know, for a team to be able to overcome those kind of talent deficiencies and, you know, having that many starters missing on an offensive unit and still be able to pull that off, um, you know, taking all the other bad taste out of my mouth, what went on for the the, the four quarters prior, um, is it, 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 impressive to me. Yeah, and and Dan, I even brought this point up because I, William, I, I know you don't, you're not a big Twitter guy, but I got into it with college football nerds because they had one of the stupidest takes in the history of social media, and said Bryce Young should have been benched after the third quarter, and. And then, of course, <laughs> that, well, wait and replace him with the guy that can't handle a snap exactly. on and a hold on a, on a field goal. That's what, exactly what I said. I said. I did. I, I said, you do realize the backup quarterback got benched because he couldn't handle a field goal snap. Right. And then the retort <laughs> I got was gold. Well, they should have just put in Jalen Milrow to give him a different look for a couple of series. And I'm sitting here going. Milrow can't even throw the ball, bro, and they can't protect. So you want to put in a guy that can just run? I mean, you've got and, to be kidding me. And I appreciate you bringing that up, Drew, because, you know, especially since the Texas A&M game, you've had all these armchair quarterbacks being so critical of Bill O'Brien. Um, do you not – you know, do these people not understand how challenging it is to call plays – when your offensive line can't run block and your offensive line can't pass block, you know, people are screaming for, you know, for screens, you know, and half the time, you know, for a screen to be effective. And I can tell you exactly how we did it. Uh, you know, when I was playing, you, you, you know, you, you basically ran play action look when the ball was snapped and sat there and, and kind of held your guy up and you, you counted. 1,001, 1,002, 1,003, and then you released out into the flat. Go back through the last, you know, through the course of the season against SEC competition and, and count up for me the number of times that Bryce Young has had uh, 1,001 to 1,003 amount of time to execute screenplay. Yeah, that's a great point. And, you know, one of the other things that I thought about, too, I know you had friends and former teammates that you were texting with during the game and things of that nature that were getting angry. I had a good friend of mine. I won't call out his name either, but I mean, he, he sits there and, and texts me and says, we have no creativity on offense. And I said, dude, it's kind of hard to be creative when you can't block a fucking si a, a simple zone run play. I mean, nope. if you can't, if you can't execute basic plays, how the hell are you supposed to get creative? And, I mean, yep. right tackle has been a huge problem. 74 was overmatched. They had to go back to 
Chris Owens, who did a decent job in the second half. And I will say this, William. You made a point of this, too. I've always said, and I, and I know his family, and I love the kid, and he's done a great job as an extra, you know, run-blocking tight end. But we saw, without a shadow of a doubt, why Kendall Randolph cannot be a right tackle at Alabama. Because he cannot pass block either. He got brutalized in that game. And i got to be honest with you, Drew. I, I've watched the – you know, I watched the game live. I watched the condensed 30 minute version this afternoon. 79 was not that big of an improvement on 74. And he got right. brutalized as well. Right. Um, and, and to be honest with you, um, you know, the only thing that I have seen from Bill O'Brien this year that, you know, make me scratch my head a little bit is, you know, when they do try and run. You know, why don't they run behind Evan Neal more? You know, if you, the, the one big run that Brian Robinson did have, you know, um, in the, or I think it was early in the fourth quarter last night. It was a 25- or 30-yard run. Um, I mean, Evan Neal and, and, you know, Cohen both executed their blocks perfectly, and me and you could have, you know, hopscotch through the hole. Um, that, that, that's been a little bit baffling to me that we do seem to be so – you know, right-handed, right side of the line of scrimmage when we do run the football. But, um, you know, last night was not a pretty picture for um, anybody on that that offensive line, in in my opinion, outside of Seth McLaughlin. I mean, you know, yeah, he had one low snap. Bryce probably could have and should have, you know, controlled it and and, um, been been able to do something with it. But, hell, by that point in time, Bryce was probably so shell-shocked, he didn't know what was going on. There's another one. Oh, you know, Bryce can't throw the deep ball. Well, do you not realize that for the deep ball to be – and I'm not trying to, you know, ignore the fact that Bryce, you know, was overthrowing people earlier in the season against lesser competition. But, you know, those those wide receivers last year for Mac Jones – Mac Jones had so much time in the pocket for the deep ball to unfold that they were able to do double and triple moves at times. He had so much time. Right. Um, that That's not a luxury that Bryce Young's been afforded this year. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not trying to say that the guy should win the Heisman Trophy, but when you factor in um, the way things have basically imploded around him um, and, and the lack of time, um, you know, there's been a lot of flip-flopping on the offensive line in the second half of the season. Um, you know, I'll say this publicly, and I don't care what anybody thinks about it. Um, I'll debate you till hell freezes over. We'd have lost at least three regular season football games this year with Mac Jones at quarterback. I mean, that because of his lack of mobility, correct? Well, I don't think it's, you know, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I think that, you know, Mac Jones is a legit four seven nine forty guy like he ran at Alabama's Pro Day, but he is certainly not what I would consider a Freddie Kitchens, you know, or a Brody Croyle stiff in the pocket. But, you know, he's he's not a, a dual threat guy by any stretch of the imagination. But, you know, Bryce Young has been able to extend drives, extend plays, um, make, make phenomenal plays because of his mobility. And, you know, he's kind of been forced to do it. I mean, you see, you you almost have to hit him in the back of the head with a sledgehammer to get him to run, number one. He's he's so, you know, 
zoned in and and uh, you know just just been been coached up to this point to stay in the pocket until it's absolutely a, a you know a code red and you've got to take off and do something. But yeah, I mean it's it's uh, you know and, and there again that that's the difference <laughs> in what we're looking at in 2021 versus 2020. You know, last year you had three guys. Um, I mean, I'm paraphrasing a little bit on Dickerson, but I promise you if it hadn't been for the knee injury, he'd have gone in the first round too. You yeah. had three first-round draft picks um, and three guys that will start on Sundays at the offensive line position from Alabama. This year you got one, and I'm not sure the other four will even make a roster. Right. I mean, and that's what I've tried to tell people. It's really the Jimmys and Joes. It's not the X's and O's, especially for B.O.B., they just don't have yep. as talented an offensive line. It's an offensive line that struggles. I mean, they've still got 2,000-yard receivers, a 1,000-yard rusher, and a nearly 4,000-yard, 40-touchdown passer. Uh, but, you know, you, you know, I, 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 I'll, we'll just have to wait and see. I mean, you know, I, I, I think that, you know, it definitely there's been some times I've scratched my head over play calling, but you can do that with any O.C., I still think that he's done a solid job. Bryce has definitely put up numbers similar to Tua back in 2018, uh, you know, with the 68% completions, 3,900 yards, 40 touchdowns, and just four interceptions. So he's been remarkable. And then when he's used his legs, he's been really good as well. Now we'll see how good they really are, if they can figure out a way to move the ball against Georgia and to stay in that game. I mean, it's going to take – uh, you know, an, an unbelievable game plan and unbelievable preparation uh, for this team because they're going to be a probably as big an underdog as I can remember a Nick Saban team being. And the last time they were was against Georgia going to Athens in 2015. But this is a completely different animal and a football team that's much different than that one was on the lines of scrimmage, especially on the O-line. So I'm just not sure. I don't even know what to expect, honestly. But I will say this, William, I wanted you to break this down kind of for the listeners. You brought it up with the third-team center, going back to Owens at right tackle. Uh, how, When you're an offensive lineman, you were, you played on O-lines at Alabama, how difficult is it from a chemistry standpoint and to do your job when you've got so much, uh, you know, instability going on, when you've got guys going in and out of the lineup? It's a challenge, and I mean, you know, I don't, I don't know if the average fan noticed it or not last night. I mean, you know, it is loud in Jordan Hare Stadium, especially when you're, you know, inside the twenty on either end of the field. And um, I, I'm sure y'all, you and Thomas probably noticed it, uh, but I don't know if the average fan did or not. But I mean, you know, you saw, you know, Cohen completely flipped around in his stance, looking at the quarterback, and he would slap McLaughlin on the shoulder to tell him when to snap the football. Yeah. Um, but no, it, it's a challenge. I mean, you know, you, you, you get used to um, knowing what somebody's going to do based on the, the pre-snap lineup of the defensive linemen and the linebackers, um, you know, and, and that, that's, that to me has been the, the biggest, I, I don't even know if it's a talent issue. I mean, obviously it's a talent issue if you want to compare this year's offensive line to, you know, what we've gotten accustomed to under Nick Saban specifically last year. But the the communication, the pre-snap reads, 
you know, blitz recognition and, and how to execute that. That's been a problem from day one. And, you know, that that's not talent. Um, that's communication and chemistry. And, um, it, you know, it takes zero talent to know what to do. Um, now, it does take talent to, you know, pick one foot up, put the other one down and get in a position to stop somebody and make a block. But it doesn't take any talent to know what to do pre-snap. This isn't complicated um, you know, hey, I'm I'm disguising this, I'm disguising that. You know, the teams that have been so effective, the Texas A&M's, the Tennessee's, the LSU's, and and the biggest shocker of my life, the Auburns of the world, that they don't really disguise anything. I mean, they show what they're doing pre-snap. I mean, it's not like a um, you know, an exotic corner blitz like you saw Alabama execute to perfection last night, bringing Kool-Aid off the edge. Um, and, and, you know, we, we can beat a, a dead horse until it's dead beyond recognition if you want to, but that, that's where this team is. Um, you know, me personally, um, you know, whether you've got Damian Dalcourt or Seth McLaughlin at center, um, you're asking either one of those guys to, um, do something that neither one of them are probably capable of doing. I mean, you know, you saw Landon Dickerson keep Jordan Davis in check last year. I think Jordan Davis only had four tackles, um, you know, against Georgia. I mean, excuse me, in the Alabama-Georgia matchup in, in, in uh, last year. But, you know, I don't know if either one of those guys can can slow him down. Um, you know, they they do have – you know, a little bit of a breather with, with Adam Anderson being unavailable due to legal issues. But, you know, if I'm Kirby Smart, I, I take the, the the second best one, whoever it may be, um, at outside linebacker, and I put them up, you know, on whoever's the, the right tackle for Alabama at the moment. Um, so, you know, what, what's going to be interesting to me, kind of segue in between the game yesterday and the one next Saturday, is, you know, Kirby doesn't blitz much. You know, he plays his base scheme. Right. And, uh, you know, he's he's got the talent, especially in his front seven, to do that. And, you know, that kind of protects him on the back end a little bit, you know, with not having to blitz. I'll be interested to see if he, you know, if, if he does that and whoever is the right tackle um, can, can just, you know, slow that guy down a little bit, at, 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 you know, with the edge rusher, um, that that might make the dynamic of this game a little bit different. Now, if he does choose to, you know, go the A&M, UT, LSU, Auburn route, you know, you're talking about a totally different animal and a totally different group of athletes that would be pulling that off. That that could change the the dynamic of this game tremendously if he does try to do it. But Knowing Kirby, as long as I've known Kirby and what he does, you know, he's very stubborn. And I would be surprised if he does go away from what's gotten him to where he is in 2021 to this point. Yeah, you know, I, I, it's going to be really interesting uh, to see how they approach it. But the thing is, Auburn had not blitzed a lot under Derek Mason. But at least that had been the complaint, and he was super aggressive against Alabama, you know, that's why I want to see early. And I want to see what Alabama does to kind of counter and prepare for this Georgia defense. And that's going to be fascinating. I'm going to bring Thomas in. Thomas, first of all, you can give us your thoughts on the Iron Bowl. And then, you know, we can delve into the Georgia matchup. But 
what were your thoughts on what you watched inside Jordan Hare? You know, uh, as you uh, watched the Iron Bowl unfold and the, what really ended up being a classic, but was unexpected. Well, the first thought is thank God for Bryce Young because that kid is nails. Um, the the comments about at the certain position groups at Alabama being athletically limited are a hundred percent spot on. The thing about it is there's not any quit in this team and they're going to keep going. It just, you know, you you almost have to decide if you think it's going to be enough against a team like Georgia, but focusing on the iron bowl, I thought the defense, the defense was better than I expected. Uh, That was, that was a command performance that if not for that crazy, if not for a couple of catches happening that, almost never happened by the people that made them. Like, the overtime touchdown catch was unbelievable. That that player will not make a better catch in his career. And so, with all of that going on, you had some special circumstances. But offensively, Alabama is what they are. Uh, the offensive line, particularly the right side, struggles. And they're not going to get any better this year. That's going to be a case of a year of the young guys – that Alabama has recruited, in a couple of cases rehabbing, in a couple of cases just getting better at the college level and shoring up the offensive line. So Alabama is what they are there. And that's going to that's gonna limit Alabama. Defensively, the thing that you have to take away is when you look at the Georgia game moving forward, the question on Alabama for their defense is – are they a good enough run-stopping unit to make Georgia's run offense, which they run more than they pass, even though they pass very efficiently. Stetson Bennett deserves credit for being a highly efficient passer. Is the Alabama run defense good enough to make Georgia inefficient running the ball? Because I still don't think Stetson Bennett's going to be able to pass Georgia to a win against Alabama. Because that just that implies to me that Georgia's really struggling if they're having to go, you know, two to one pass or, you know, fifty five forty five pass, et cetera. And that's that, that's just a question that we need to see. The Alabama defense just did it against Auburn, even though Auburn with T J Finley got hurt, it just spun completely out of control, if you ask me. It just it, you know, there was nothing Finley couldn't stand in the pocket for very long, and Alabama just kept coming. Now, I will say, on your rewatches, if you haven't watched the game yet and you're of a certain persuasion, keep an eye on LeBron Ray, Byron Young, and Phil Mathis because they were monsters yesterday against Auburn. But the, the thing about it is the team found a way to win. This team is going to have to find weird ways to win. And again, I'm put me in the camp of if you said Alabama was going to hold Auburn to under 160 total yards in regulation and 10 points, I would say Alabama just thrashed Auburn. I, I, I would think, okay, we finally turned the corner. Alabama's in thrash mode, and Georgia, Alabama's going to be an instant classic. Now, frankly, Drew, I don't know what team is going to come out against the Georgia Bulldogs next week. Because think about the season as a whole. We've seen some very high-level offensive performances. We've seen some very high-level defensive performances. But 
there's not been a good mix. There's always been one shining star and one kind of not shining star. And to beat a Georgia Bulldogs football team, there needs to be some shining stars all over the place. And I don't know if Alabama is going to be able to pull that off. But, you know, we'll see. One of the things about Georgia when you break the game up to segue forward is you start charting paths to victory and, you know, trying to build logical arguments that check out up and down the line. And, you know, what do I mean by that? I mean, you look at the game yesterday. What was Auburn's path to victory? Blitz like crazy to bog down the Alabama defense, score opportunistic points, and pray to God Tank Bigsby can break off a couple of runs. Well, it got close with that. For Alabama, honestly, one of the biggest paths to victory that I can see is I still believe elite offense beats elite defense every single time. And... When you start talking about that, you really are talking about Bryce Young essentially being Deshaun Watson. What Deshaun Watson did to that, those classic Alabama defenses. Both the times they matched up. Can he do it? I, I don't know. That, that 97-yard drive he engineered was the stuff, you know, magic. That, that, that almost shouldn't have happened given the personnel and who he's leaning on. I mean, my God. The biggest catch, one of the biggest catches of the night was Jaleel Billingsley, who has had cement in his hands for like six weeks. So, can can he do that? Maybe, but that's a really hard thing to hang your hat on. So, I I don't know how this one's going to go. It's one of those things where I have extraordinarily low expectations, but I have all the hopes in the world, Drew. Yeah, you know, I I I think you and I are on the same foot page, but. I do want to give both of y'all a laugh because I still check Twitter out while we record this show, and I just came in contact with a couple of Auburn fans who think the officiating wasn't atrocious yesterday and that uh, it was basically fair or that Alabama got away with murder, which is the biggest joke I've ever heard in all my life. The only thing that one of the clowns would credit was that Auburn had an electric crowd that Alabama could never duplicate. I guess they really need to schedule some cataract surgeries in Auburn tomorrow so some of these idiots can get their eyesight checked. And that's all I'll say about it. I mean, because that was some atrocious officiating, especially the non-calls in the secondary, which were a joke. I mean, I think Roger McCreary's a good player, okay? But he got away with murder. And they called Jordan Battle for the same thing they wouldn't call on him. So I don't want to hear Bo Nix. I don't want to hear any of these Auburn peckerheads. I don't want to hear any of them talk about Alabama gets all the calls, okay? That's not correct. Alabama does not get all the calls. They're the most penalized team in the SEC. And, you know, they, they committed a season high in penalties yesterday. So Auburn got a lot of breaks, and yet they still couldn't win the game. So, I mean, so let's just relax here and understand that Auburn played well. I give them credit. They played above their head, but they didn't win the football game, okay? So stop trying to cry and whine about Alabama getting all the calls when Alabama had to overcome the officiating as well as an Auburn team that played out of their minds uh, on defense. So, again, credit to Auburn for making it a classic game. But like you said, Thomas, Huge credit to Alabama for trying for being able to overcome all the adversity and win the game. 
Well, let me pose a question real quick. Uh, just to, I, I guess let's let's put it to you this way: you can read a lot of positive and a lot of negative from the Iron Bowl, and I think there's there's stuff to be said on both sides. But do you, do either of you and Drew please Drew please go first, and then if you'll kick it to William, do either of you see the fact that you know you had Will Anderson and Phil Mathis trying to get the offense in gear, and the first guy that comes out to talk to Bryce Young and you know chest bump him is Will Anderson, and you saw Evan Neal trying to be a leader. It's that finally the long-awaited crystallization of leadership, or is this now too little, too late? What do you think, Drew? Well, I mean, I still don't think this team has great leadership, but sometimes, like Nick Saban said at halftime, he said he'd never seen the team more together and well ready to fight than they were at halftime of the Iron Bowl. Sometimes adversity does that to a team, and you finally figure things out. I don't think it's ever too late. We'll see. Though, I, again, I, I agree with William 110%. This is a football team that's limited and injured, and that's not going to change. So, I mean, we'll see. Just like, and now they've got guys going into the portal. Looks like Pierce Quick has, but he he got hurt here. He was never going to play, I don't think, a lot on the OL, so he's going somewhere else. He's a good kid from a good family. I don't blame him, okay? This is basically Richie Pettibone 2.0 to me. But again, and I'll let William come back in. William, I don't know what your thoughts are on leadership and anything. You know, I don't ever think it's too late for a team to completely gel, but it still seems, uh, you know, kind of far-fetched because, again, what I mean by that is it's not going to change a ton because the team is still is what it is from a physical standpoint, and they're still limited. Well, yeah, and I, yes, I agree. And now, now at the same time, um, I, I'm going to throw a unpopular name into the the gumbo pot here that I really thought played above his head yesterday, based on his body of work from from this season. Um, I thought Demarco Hellams balled out yesterday. Yeah, um, I agree. You know, yeah, that's a good point. That's a good best point. game yeah. of the year. Oh, oh, period. Oh, 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 you know, overran the the one little, um, you know, bubble screen, whatever the hell it was over there to the right side, slipped and fell. But I, I'm not going to even ding him for that based on everything else that he did. Um, you know, Thomas mentioned Byron Young, um, you know, another guy that we've, you know, started to talk about more and more. And Every time the guy was even sniffing the football, you saw Will Anderson basically beating the shit out of him after the play. I mean, this damn Dallas Turner, yes. um, I'm certainly not ready to put him in the, the, the Will Anderson Jr. category, but, I mean, you've watched this guy. Um, you know, when, when you when you start talking about they've still got the SEC championship game and you know, we've already talked about this. We think it's probably going to be, you know, a, a, a nominal bowl game after that. It's not going to be the college football playoffs unless something really crazy happens. But, I mean, Dallas Turner has a chance to match, if not better, uh, Will Anderson's sack total as a true freshman from last year with the way he's going about things right now. And, you know, you saw it several times yesterday. And, it's you know, I love – watching this unfold on the defensive side of the football because it, it, it's what 
offensive linemen have to do, you know, on the interior versus the offensive tackles. But there were so many times yesterday where Dallas Turner and Will Anderson collapsed the pocket from the outside in um, on passing plays. And there, there was our buddy Phil Mathis cleaning stuff up when, when Finley, you know, on one leg. And, you know, it, 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 there again, I think we, we need to, you know, I'm going to say two things positive about Auburn from yesterday. Number one, I, you know, from the bottom of my heart, I appreciate the tribute that the sports information department at Auburn gave to Cecil Hurt in the press box. Yes, absolutely. Complete, complete and total class, um, well-deserved. You know, if you come across a human being that has a negative thing to say about Cecil Hurt, just punch him right in the mouth. I'll pay your freaking bail to get you out of jail. Um, number one. Number two, um, you know, say what you want to. You know, I know most Auburn fans aren't, you know, real high on Brian Harson. Um, you know, we've given him a lot of shit on this show. Um, you know, I, I, I about pulled a little bit of hair I've got left on my head out when he was trying to I, – I, one media person, you know, asked him how he was going to prepare for this game. and. He's like, look, man, I've I've played in a ton of Boise, Boise State matchups. And I was like, "Uh, seriously, dude? (laughs) You're going to compare that to this? But, you know, he had that team ready to play yesterday. And, you know, in my opinion, in all three phases of the game, um, you you know, two of my biggest complaints about Nick Saban in the last, five to seven years have been this he's gotten rid of it once he got will Riker. but you know the sky kickoffs used to drive me insane well excuse me let me let me add one more to it there's three of them the sky kickoffs you know thinking that a play was going to be made um you know on a kickoff i would equate that to you know nick's antiquated philosophy of affecting the quarterback um, you know, which we saw back when he had the, you know, the heavy legged outside linebackers. Um, no, the, the, the best way to keep a quarterback from completing a pass isn't affecting him. It's putting them on their backs. The, the third complaint is this. Does anybody that's listening to this podcast think that Ja'Cory Brooks, Trayshawn Holden, hell, even though Dabo Slade Bolden out there, why do you have your best wide receiver on the punt cover team to even put them? A, my biggest concern would be to get them injured, number one. And I, I love the freaking ear hole um, that, that Jamison Williams did, but you saw what the result was. You lost him for the rest of the game. So, you know, when – Whenever this regular season and, and SEC championship game is over with, whatever the outcome is, you know, Nick's gotten rid of the sky kickoffs. Um, you can tell that he's gone away from affecting the quarterback and now is more concerned and impressed by putting them on their backs, by recruiting and, and putting guys on the field as true freshmen, both Will Anderson last year and Dallas Turner this year. He he's not real worried about affecting. I mean, he wants them put on their backs. Can we get the starting wide receivers and skill players off of kickoff and punt coverage? 
the prosecution rest. Well, and I don't disagree with that, William. You know, when the play happened, I thought it was Kool-Aid McKinstry at first because he has been on coverage. I, I don't blame him for putting Jamison back there on kickoff return because he's explosive and maybe they might kick it to him. But the coverage, I would agree with that a little bit. I mean, you know, certainly I still think it was stupid what he did, but, you know, I kind of thought it hurt the team. But I see your point, and I also understand the injury situation. Uh, no doubt about that. And I will say uh, also shout out to Auburn for honoring Charles Hollis as well, another longtime sports writer. But I know Cecil Hurt did some stories with you. He's always been a class act. You know, and I'll just say this. I was really, really shaken up this week when he passed. And I knew things weren't good, but it still was a huge shock because I'm going to be honest with you. You know, I wasn't, you know, a guy that was talented enough to play at Alabama and put on the uniform like you did. I'm not going to be a coach, but I could cover in the media. And honestly, you know, Cecil Hurt was my hero. And that's the reason, you know, that I loved the media and wanted to cover the team. And it was an honor to become a friend of his and get to know him. And, uh, and you know, and I, I was just honored to be, a, to be able to have some interaction with him and learn from him. He's a great guy and just a tremendous person. And uh, I just, uh, I'm, uh, I've just, I was just, it's just been an honor. But guys, let me uh, step aside for just a minute. And I'll let you get you and Thomas uh, continue to break this down. I'll be right back. Yeah, I think Drew's losing his voice a little bit. But, you know, William, we can move on to Georgia. And I talked about this a little Do bit. Do we have to? Uh, well, unfortunately, <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's, it's, I, think, I think we both think it's going to be a rough next Saturday. But, and, and, you know, that's actually an interesting point. I've been talking to people and thinking about this. And – People have asked me, you know, what paths of victory do you see? And I finally said, there was a discussion that I said, let's take, if you take, if you take the G's off the side of Georgia's helmets and you take the numbers off the sides of Alabama's helmets and you flip them and you ask me to break down, given if, if Georgia had Alabama's weaknesses and Alabama had Georgia's weaknesses and strengths, of course, who do you see winning the game? And I could tell you I'd take Alabama in that scenario by a touchdown or two. I mean, I, I think there's some, they're real, uh, there's some real looming problems with this game. And with that in mind, one of the things that Alabama's going to have to figure out to make this work is can, can they make Georgia inefficient on offense? Because I think the Georgia defense is going to hold Alabama under 30. I don't think the Alabama offense is that is, is going to be able to break through well enough to pull that off. So can the Alabama defense make Georgia inefficient? And what will that do? Will it potentially shorten the field so that Alabama's offense doesn't have to drive 80 yards every freaking time? 80? Uh, yeah, there's a new bumper sticker out there that's replaced second and twenty six. It's oh. third and ninety seven, Thomas. Yeah, you're not <laughs> wrong there. Maybe it's fourth and ninety seven, given how that drive yeah. went. But you know that that's some of the stuff that I see, William. And uh, you know, I'm going to kick it. What do you? So you know, you're breaking this down. What do you see Alabama needing to do to beat Georgia? And we do have Drew back with us, but just kick it to Drew next. 
Well, I look at it like this, Thomas. I mean, you know, if you could get the 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 total every level of the defense playing the way that they played, and, you know, and this is apples to oranges. I mean, comparing Auburn's defense to Georgia's defense is apples to oranges, but still, um, the production and the efficiency was there. If you could get the effort from yesterday to next Saturday and, and the efficiency. Um, you know, we're, we're talking about a Georgia offense that, you know, I, I, I think this is correct. I think they're averaging 40 points per game. Um, and, and, you know, crank that down to 30. Okay, so, you know, Alabama holds Georgia to 28 to 30 points next Saturday. Then you have to shift it back over to the other side of the ball and, you know, Alabama's got a pretty prolific offense as well, but they haven't seen a defense like what they're going to see this Saturday. Where does the differential, you know, come into play where Alabama can score 32 to 34 points on Georgia? I just don't see that happening, um, you know, without some help. You know, does, does Stetson Bennett throw a pick, pick six? You know, does one of those running backs put the ball on the ground? Alabama gets, you know, a short field, some cheap points. Um, I've got all the confidence in the world of, uh, of, you know, Will Reichert with somebody other than Paul Tyson as the holder on on field goals. Um, that that to me is is where it, it starts getting, you know, interesting. And, and maybe as an Alabama fan, you have to take the the crimson colored sunglasses off. You know, this is going to be the best offensive line that the Alabama front seven has seen. Um, they've seen a better quarterback. Um, they've seen better wide receivers. They haven't seen a better running back room than what they're going to see, and that's kind of a byproduct of that that Georgia offensive line. Now, when, when you flip it over to the offense, um, this is going to be, without a doubt, the best front seven that, that Alabama has seen. Now, the back end of the Georgia defense, in my opinion, hasn't been stressed or tested all year. Um, does, does Alabama have the capability of stressing that back end of the Georgia defense? Um, yeah, with Bryce Young and, and Jamison uh, Williams and, and John Mechie and, you know, the tight ends and all that other stuff, yeah, they do. But then again, you have to fall back you know, whether they have, you know, you know, five people pass blocking or they're going max protection, um, you know, Alabama's max protection unit yesterday versus a much, much less talented um, Auburn front seven just got humiliated. So, you know, we're in this, you know, basically a, a fishbowl that you're shaking up the whole thing back and forth. Um I can see a scenario where, you know, Georgia doesn't score 40 points against the Alabama defense. I, I can see a scenario where it's 27 to 30. Um, and then you have to flip back over and say, you know, do you think Alabama's, you know, can Alabama do something that nobody else in this, you know, college football season has been able to do? Can they score, you know, 30 plus? Um Based on what I saw yesterday, no, I don't think they can. Well, and uh, and William, I, I, I'll agree with that. Uh, so sorry, guys, I'm back. 
you know, uh, had a neighbor come by and drop off some chocolate cake. <laughs> but, uh, you know, but uh, can you yeah. FedEx me a piece of it? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> but, you know, certainly uh, I think it's going to be a chore for Alabama. I just wonder, you know, what kind of game plan they're going to use. Are they going to incorporate quick throws to the backs? Are they going to, you know, try to screen? Not, and I mean quick screen, Georgia some. Uh, are they going to, you know, involve the tight ends maybe on quick throws, pop throws? I just, I just wonder. I mean, this could be a game where Jaleel Billingsley could have been a weapon, but he made a huge catch yesterday, but he just hasn't been seen a lot. I do think Alabama needs to do some things that Georgia hasn't seen on film. You know, I even think a wildcat package or using him on end rounds with Jalen Milrow uh, to generate some rushing yards and maybe pop one could be used because of his explosive ability. Because we know Brian Robinson, guys, I'll just tell you, he's got a hamstring. He's got an ankle. He's going to be not 100% playing in the game. Trey Sanders will obviously get some time. They've got to find a way to have some semblance of balance, even though they're going to have to throw the ball to win. But, and I agree with you, William, I do think Alabama's receivers can potentially stress, you know, Georgia. Maybe Ja'Cory Brooks could have an even bigger role. We'll see. But it's really going to be fascinating to me. And then off defensively, Alabama needs to hold that, needs to continue to stop the run. They have done that first and foremost. And done it well. I w- and I'm I, I, and I'm glad you mentioned that, William, because I was going to ask you. In the past, you haven't been as enamored with Georgia's offensive line. I'm assuming that you're impressed with them this year. Well, I, I certainly don't think this is you know in the Kirby Smart era. Um, you know, th- you know they've been banged up. They've had some injuries. I mean, you know, they've kind of had to do. Um, you know, some flip-flopping on their offensive line throughout the course of the season, just like Alabama has had to do. I don't think this is the best, um, you know, Georgia offensive line that Alabama's had to face, and, and you know, either in the SEC championship game or in the college football playoff, but it, it's still very solid. Um, and, and, you know, there again, you know, one hand feeds the other, you know, one of the reasons why they're so effective and productive is, you know, they've got that running back room behind them. Um, you know, where, where, where Georgia has been, you know, totally, um, you know, kind of hindered. It, it's kind of hard to, you know, say that a undefeated program has been hindered, but you know, the, where they got all their injuries was at the wide receiver position. Um, there again, I think that, you know, something that nobody at least so far today has talked about that could be a a game changer in this matchup on Saturday, Um, you know, especially with, with, you know, and this is something that we probably need to get into um, when we, when we close the show, Um, you know, what what is going to happen, you know, with the Georgia quarterback position um, whenever this season ends, you know, if Stetson ben- Bennett doesn't decide to retire, uh, does JT Daniels transfer out? Does Carson Beck transfer out? They got a lot of young quarterbacks, um, you know, including, um, you know, a five-star guy in Gunnar Stockton coming in in this class. But where, where I think things could get real interesting and possibly ugly for Alabama is the same thing that I talked about 
uh, and it never did materialize versus Auburn, um, especially after T.J. Finley got, got injured. But, you know, Georgia may have the best true freshman tight end, maybe the best tight end in all of college football, that Bowers kid. Um, you know, w- what happens if, you know, Georgia's game plan is to, you know, flood the middle of the field with their tight ends and their running backs out of the backfield? You know, that makes Stetson Bennett's job that much easier um, and makes it much uh, a much bigger challenge for, you know, Pete Golding and Christian Harris and, you know, Henry Toa Toa and, and, you know, the Alabama safeties to, you know, th- they may not have to worry about, um, you know, wide receivers blowing the lid off at the back end of the defense. But, you know, Georgia does have the talent and the capability of, you know, dinking and dunking 10 to 15-yard passes all the way down the field mixed in with their already effective running game. Yeah, it does. There's no doubt. And, I mean, Brock Bowers is, could be a problem. I mean, and, uh, you know, I was hoping that Cam Latou and uh, and Dua Billingsley would be as the season's gone on, but their roles have diminished. It'll be interesting to see how involved they are with the, in this Alabama game plan. And, again, Alabama's running game with Brian Robinson, you know, being hobbled. He's, he, he got his 1,000-yard season, but and even he gutted out 71 yards yesterday. But I'm going to be fascinated to see what Jeff Allen and the medical staff can do with him and how healthy they can get, uh, no doubt. Uh, well, Drew, now, Drew, let me say this. Thomas posed the question, and you just jarred my memory. Right. Thomas wanted to know, you know, what this Alabama football team could do to, you know, counteract out of Georgia's elite defense. Yeah. And you, you just, you just spoke to me. Um, remember what Bryce Young and Cameron Latu and Jaleel Billingsley, well, excuse me, he wasn't even on the field. It was more just Bryce Young and Cameron Latu. But what what I think could really slow and and, and maybe make this a, a closer game that than it might need to end up being is uh an RPO game with Bryce Young to Cameron Latu on RPOs. Mm. Yeah, I mean that's uh that would be interesting. I and it might work, you know, if and especially if there's if they're if it's it's quick. And, you know, and Latou can win the battle in coverage and run good routes and catch the football. I mean, they didn't do a lot of RPOs yesterday against Auburn. They did a few, but uh, I think it really hurt when Jamison Williams went out. They're definitely going to need him uh, to make a play, no question about it, or, or to make big plays in this game. He has the capability to do so with that speed. He is elite. There's no doubt about it. Uh, and I'm going to be really fascinated to see you know what happens uh, to in in the game against Georgia when Alabama tries to uh, exploit some of those matchups. Because I agree with you, I think the Georgia secondary is still a little suspect. Their front seven is outstanding. I mean, they've got a bunch of studs. Alabama's going to have to really do a good job in protection and get the ball out of Bryce's hands quickly. Probably move the pocket too. Bryce is going to have to use some of his mobility to escape. And that's kind of what differentiates them from Tua and Mac, uh, because neither one of them were super mobile. Tua was pretty decent, but again, he was a little fragile. So 
really going to be interested to see about how this this kind of all the, all unfolds. And it does look like at least that Alabama's pretty healthy on defense. And I'll tell you another guy, when you rightly pointed out uh, DeMarco Hellams playing good football, I still think Henry Toa Toa has played better lately as well. He had nine tackles yesterday. I didn't think he was out of position a lot. Even eight made a few plays. And I know he's been hit or miss all season. But I think Toa Toa has gotten a lot better and a lot more comfortable. Uh, and then Will Anderson. And, and, and I'll say this. Dallas Turner has done so well that he's, he's, he's kind of taken a job away from Drew Sanders. And he's probably going to force Alabama just to let Chris Allen go to the NFL and not try to talk him into coming back. Well, you know, I mean, the Allen situation, um, you know, I think will take care of itself. But, you know, I, I think where, you know, the, the, the Dallas Turner situation becomes problematic is what, what I would like to see. You know, I don't know if this is possible, but, you know, with bowl practice, limited spring practice, whatever it turns out to be, I, I would love to see maybe – you know, you know, Will Anderson's coming back, you know, Dallas Turner's coming back. Um, you know, let, 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 let the dirty white boy, uh, Drew Sanders go matriculate over to inside linebacker. And, uh, you know, I would love to see those three cats on the field at the same time, but th there's a, a plethora of talent behind Dallas Turner and, and, and uh, and Will Anderson, you know, uh, Chris Braswell, um, you know, the list goes on and on. That's the deepest position on Alabama's uh, defense. And, you know, you, you might see some of those guys hit the portal. But I would love to see, uh, you know, if Dallas Turner is going to be one guy and, you know, Will Anderson's going to be the other, I'd love to see, you know, if Drew Sanders can't, you know, matriculate over to uh, – inside linebacker hell put him at tight end somewhere get him on the field uh, but you know that that's just the nature of the beast when you recruit the way that Alabama does um, there's going to be some hurt feelings with the other guys hey well, I, when you brought you you just brought up something that I wanted to ask you about because I've I've broached this with someone that played at Alabama and they told me they didn't think that he could move from outside to inside it would be too difficult I don't see that. I, I would think in the spring he could move. I would love to see Drew Sanders take over for Harris if he went to the NFL at, at the Will linebacker. I think that's possible to do. What, I know you didn't play linebacker, but, I mean, I, I've got Oh, yeah, I did. Well, I mean, I'm talking about at Alabama. I'm sorry. Let me, let me, oh, let me oh. I'm just saying, how difficult would it be? I wouldn't think it would be difficult, that difficult for him to make the transition. No. Look, I can't I can't speak about this at the college or the SEC level, but I can speak about it at the high school level. Um, you know, I was a you know a tight end, um, an outside jack linebacker basically my whole high school career. Um, halfway through my senior year, you know, my my high school head coach came to me and he said, "Hey, look, you know." of the, you know, the 50 scholarship offers that you have, you know, 45 of them want you as an offensive guard. And I was like, well, that's depressing. <laughs> and, and, and so he was like, but look, it, you know, 
what can I do to get you to play offensive guard on the offense? I said, well, I'll tell you what you can do because I'm freaking tired of putting my hand in the dirt and looking at the quarterback and him looking at me and audibling to the other side. I said, I'll tell you what. I'll do it on offense if you let me play middle linebacker. And he's like, you got a deal. So that's what happened. The first game with absolutely zero experience. Now, this was at the, you know, Birmingham, you know, 5A level of high school football. They they put me at middle linebacker. I had 27 tackles. Whoa. I'm not trying to say that Drew Sanders can do that at the SEC level, but it's certainly worth a look. And, you know, as a coach, your job is to put those players in a position to make plays. And there would be nothing, you know, even if it was a disaster, there would be nothing more than I would like to see Dallas Turner, Will Anderson Jr., and Drew Sanders at one of those inside linebacker positions. And, you know, at the same time, Drew, I don't think – a lot of these cats that maybe thought going into the 2021 season that thought that they were going to get drafted high, you know, some of them still have COVID years they can burn, um, you know, have that luxury at their expense. Um, but I, I think Drew Sanders is a too good of a true football player to waste. And let's find a place for him to play, you know, if he can't beat out Dallas Turner or Will Anderson, which, you know, I think we all know he's not going to do, you know, can he go over there and help Cameron Law too at tight end? You know, can he factor in at inside linebacker? I mean, I think he's a, a good enough football player to maybe enter into that conversation. Yeah, I mean, I do too. I, I want to find a place for him because before he got injured, he was playing really good at strong side backer. He can. He has some pass rush ability. He's got some sideline to sideline ability. He's a five star guy for a reason, and I just like to get him on the field. I mean, I, I don't, I don't, and I think he's more physical, quite frankly, than eight. Okay, but I will say this: uh, I know you know Alabama's up twelve right now in basketball at the last media timeout against Miami. That game is on ESPNU in the consolation game of the ESPN Invitational in Orlando, Florida. We'll talk more about that. Alabama got a tough loss to Iona uh, earlier in that event, but they did beat the Drake Bulldogs. Uh, so right now they're five and one, trying to go to six and one. Hopefully they'll get it done, and we'll discuss that on next week's show. But just a quick Alabama basketball update there. But I know we're going to the last few minutes uh, before we uh, break down Georgia, though, William. I wanted to get your thoughts because I watched this film. Uh, on Alabama flipping Jamarian Miller from Texas. I really like this kid's tape at running back. I love his physicality. I love the way he finishes runs. He reminds me of a cross between Derrick Henry, and and I'm not saying he's going to be Derrick Henry with the Heisman. I'm saying his running style. His running style, that and Brian Robinson, with a little more speed. What is your thoughts on this kid, Jamarian Miller? No, I mean, I like the pickup, and, and you know, obviously the – you know, the reason that Alabama has to sign, you know, all the running backs that they do on an annual basis, you know, has played out, you know, during the 2021 season, you know, they lost, uh, 
Jace McClellan and, you know, Roy Dell Williams. And, um, you know, that was one of the, you know, the points that I was trying to make about, um, you know, yesterday in the Iron Bowl, you know, they were on their fourth team running back and Trey Sanders, who, um, you know, before he got in that damn, uh, uh, you know, severe car wreck, um, you know, that kind of, you know, has put a, a little bit of a hold on his career. Um, you know, th- th- that's where Alabama's offense was in, the, in that station yesterday. And, you know, you can't really put, you know, a, a premium on, you know, what happened to him and, um, you know, where his body's at and stuff. And actually, I, I thought he played, a you know, a minor role. Um, you know, in the success of what went on yesterday in Auburn. I, I thought that guy, um, you know, got out there and, and, and did what he did. But, um, you know, going back to your question on, on Jamarian Miller, um, you know, I think he's the, what, seventh-rated running back in, in, in the country this year. Um, you know, for Alabama to get a chance to flip him and, and get him back from Texas, uh, you know, which they do such a good job of recruiting over in the in the Lone Star State. Um, you know, huge pickup. Um, you know, Alabama needs to, uh, you know, keep doing what they're doing recruiting-wise. Um, but, you know, the focus needs to be on both sides of the line of scrimmage, you know, for, for the pissed-off Alabama fan that wants to know why you know, Alabama strolled down to Jordan Hare Stadium yesterday and, you know, the, saw the outcome that they did, um, just go back and take a peek at the 2018 and 2019 recruiting classes. They were not what they were on paper. Yeah, there's no doubt. And uh, uh, they need to, they do need to finish well. There's no question about that. Now Alabama – 53 to 38 at the neck at the 1234 uh, mark of the second half. Uh, they are pulling away from Miami and Jimmy Laranega. So another quick update there, uh, you know, and again, I wanted to finish my thought. Uh, I know when I had to pick up my chocolate cake there, uh, but again, <laughs> uh, I, I just totally agree with, uh, with William. There's no classier man that I ever had the chance to meet than Cecil Hurt. He was my hero. I had a really hard time. I'm still having a hard time knowing I'll never see him again. Uh, he was so good to me. He, we, we, we sat next to each other a lot during basketball in the past, uh, you know, and we would, I would always make a, a note to speak to him. He would, and we would speak to each other. You know, I would, he would speak to me, you know, if he saw me, uh, you know, he really tried to help my career, I think. He offered me to stay at his house one time. I, I didn't accept it, but I had somebody riding with me because he didn't want me to be out late uh, coming back and having to come uh, from a basketball game and then coming back for a football game the next day. Uh, you know, he just – he was a really good person and who could have left a long time ago, but he loved Alabama because he had, he had heavy family ties to the university. He, of course, lived and went to Butler High School here in my city. Uh, you know, so it was just he understood people so well, and he was a mentor to so many. And you had to know how to talk to him. You had to know kind of to decipher what he was trying to tell you. I'll, I'll tell a funny story really quickly before we break down Georgia. It has to do with Georgia. 
a couple of years ago, we were both at the Final 48 in Birmingham at the state basketball tournament, watching current Alabama guard J.D. Davidson in high school. And I went up to Cecil because it was when the, the information was breaking about Scott Cochran going to Georgia. And, of course, I went up to Cecil, and I said, Cecil, I'm hearing some things about Cochran to Georgia. What are you, what are you hearing? He looks up at me, and he goes, Drew, I hear a lot of things. And then I go sit down, and then he gets up, and he walks away. And then I have him on Twitter alert. All of a sudden, he tweets out, it is confirmed, Scott Cochran is leaving the University of Alabama for Georgia. He comes walking by my table, and he leans down, and he goes, I had to make one more phone call. And then he keeps walking. <laughs> <laughs> it's classic Cecil. And so he's just, he was a good person, a good man. Nobody should speak ill of Cecil Hurt. He was probably the reason I went into the media. Every time I went to Birmingham or Tuscaloosa, I had to get a Tuscaloosa news. He's probably the best writer I've ever read. And our good mutual friend, William, the closest I've ever seen as a writer to Cecil is Aaron Suttles. I hope he can pick up the torch and, and had try to fill the void. It'll be impossible to fill, but Aaron is as close as a writer as I've ever seen to Cecil. And so I know that he was Cecil was his mentor as well. It's just never going to be the same. It's a very sad time to lose Cecil much too soon at 62 years old, but I just wanted to pay homage to my friend and my mentor. And it's just hard, but I, uh, I I love Cecil and uh, and I always and I and I treasure the time I got to spend with him in Hoover. It's the last time I ever saw him because by the time I got my credentials, he was already in the hospital, basically very ill. But uh, he, he his his kind will never be seen again. And I'm just going to throw it to Thomas and let him kind of give his thoughts first on the Georgia Alabama matchup. Sure. So we we talked a little bit about this, but let's get into the brass tacks of it. The thing, I've said it once, I'll say it again, I buy into the notion that elite offense beats elite defense in virtually every case. I, I And Alabama has, frankly, the best offensive player in college football in Bryce Young. I, I don't think that's very disputable anymore, given what he's done, particularly as the year's gone on. I, I hope Alabama fans realize that over these past you know, 12 games now, Bryce Young has gotten better and better. He's doing things, and Bill O'Brien's putting a lot on him. One of the things that drives me crazy, and something I hope they get away from, is the check-with-me offense. Now, I understand why check-with-me is a thing. Don't get me wrong. But that's the only reason they can even attempt that is because of – Bryce Young's mental development as a quarterback. Check with me, get into a more efficient play. That's pretty much it. Now, the my point really here is, though, if Bryce Young can play at an extraordinarily high level, anything's possible. Like, that's – statistically, Georgia should win this game. St Georgia should probably win this game by a couple of touchdowns because – it's going to be really hard to make Georgia's offense inefficient for four quarters. Now, what would it look like should that happen? One of the things we haven't seen with Georgia is what happens when they're under a lot of pressure. 
the last time that they played Alabama, if you remember, and these are different teams, so I'm not – and the transitive property is the transitive property. Can't You can only take it so far. But the last time these two teams played each other, everything got out of hand with Georgia when Alabama had that long touchdown to Jalen Waddell and Georgia had to play from behind. They started making mistakes. It was game over. Now – if that scenario happens, if it turns into a shootout, into a foot race, a la what happened to Deshaun when Deshaun Watson played Alabama and was otherworldly for 60 minutes, Alabama has a chance to win. I think they're actually in that scenario, they should be favored to win because Alabama can at least slightly change their pitch. They've shown they can do that when necessary. But a combination of the injuries and the offensive line struggles, I just don't see that happening. I think Georgia's got it this year. And I said it on the podcast before. I'm going to say it again. I have very low expectations for this game in terms of Alabama's ability to go out and win it. I think it will be close. I think it's going to be a four-quarter fight. I think there's enough talent on the Alabama roster to do that. But in the end, I think Georgia's going to win this game 27-21. And we're going to have more BAMS radio afterward, of course, to talk about the bowl game. It'll probably end up being a New Year's Six Bowl. But... The thing I would I would be I'm going to focus on after that is what if anybody doesn't come back on both the roster and in terms of coaches because there are some things that have happened there with coaching that are kind of, that kind of make my head make me scratch my head. But again, going to this game, I think it's Georgia's to lose. I think they've got it this year, and at the end of the day, that's okay. This team has achieved an absolute ton considering what they lost and where some of the recruiting misses are really starting to bite. And you want to talk about a motivational tool? Go lose the SEC championship game to Georgia with Bryce Young and Will Anderson coming back for their last hurrah in Crimson. So it's not all terrible in Tuscaloosa. It's just going to be kind of tough this week, uh, this week, Drew. Well, William, and I'm going to throw it to you. Uh, he likes it. Thomas likes it just under the number. I think it's a six-and-a-half-point favorite for Georgia right now. Uh, what, what, is you, what say you? How do you see it? I mean, I, I hate to follow up Thomas on bad news, but, you know, at the same time, I, I see it as, you know, Georgia 32, Alabama 21. Yeah, I'm – I'm in the same ballpark. I'm, I think I'm I'm Georgia 28, Alabama 20. Uh, I, I think Alabama can push them for four quarters. I just don't know, uh, you know, if they can, you know, solve the riddle, if they can score enough, and if the defense can force the turnovers and disrupt and even score themselves, and if they can, if Alabama can get some help from the special teams. Uh, you know, I think Georgia will kick it away from Alabama, though. They're not going to let Jamison Williams do that. They don't – I don't think they're going to have JoJo Earl at punt return. So, I, I just don't know. Maybe they could block a punt, at, but Georgia's been pretty adept at that. Uh, you know, I, I just think it's going to be tough with a banged-up running game and then putting a lot on Bryce. I will say if they win this game, Bryce will win the Heisman in a landslide. Uh, if they if they lose this as expected, it's probably going to be wide open. Uh, don't be, there's not really an obvious candidate, I don't think, after that. But we'll see. It's going to be a really difficult matchup. Alabama's going to have to have their best game as an O line, of course. 
Uh, they're going to have to continue what they did defensively against Auburn. Not easy because this Georgia offense is a little bit better. Uh, you know, the, 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 there can't be any pen, a lot of penalties. They can't turn the ball over. You know, this is a really good Georgia football team. It's going to be hungry because Alabama's been the boogeyman. Uh, hopefully Alabama can have their best game plan. Bill O'Brien, Pete Golding alone. Pete Golding is going to be a candidate, I think, for head coaching jobs if that, if that happens. Louisiana with Billy Napier going to Florida. Uh, maybe Louisiana Tech with Skip Holtz getting fired. Uh, so he'll certainly be in the mix. Bill O'Brien's name has been in the mix, even though LSU whiffed on Lincoln Riley. Uh, certainly USC got him, and he wanted no part of the SEC. Uh, so the coaching carousel is going to continue to turn. As Thomas said, we'll talk more about that. Uh, certainly, I'm sure Alabama is going to have some changes as well. So, uh, But we'll break it all down next week on well, BAMS Radio. Let me, let me Thomas, make one I'll final you, point. Sorry. I'll let you make one more point. So, yeah, go ahead. So I understand that we all are picking Georgia, and this is an Alabama podcast. It will always be an Alabama podcast. So I'm just going to offer a, a little broader perspective. When I picked that game, like I try and extend it out. The question I always ask myself when I pick a game is, if this game played, if these two teams played a hundred times, and you know, ideally I'd do a ten thousand or a hundred thousand simulation, but I just I don't know. I do that at work. I don't want to do it for fun. Um, but if they played a hundred times, how many times would each team win? I think Georgia wins sixty forty. Or every 66, and Alabama wins 34, so two out of three. But Alabama has ways to attack this team. If by some miracle the uh, the offensive line can hold up and Alabama's offense can achieve balance, they'll win in a shootout. Georgia's not built for that, and Alabama has the wide receiver talent to do it. It's just I don't have any faith given what we've seen from the Alabama offensive line to be able to do that against a truly elite front. You know, those Georgia's going to send a lot of guys to the NFL and you know, let's, let's call a spade a spade. Should Georgia beat Alabama this upcoming Saturday with the loss of Ohio state to Michigan, Georgia really is their playoff games are just going to end up being coronations. If you ask me, they, they are so much better than anybody else that'll be in the playoff this year. But there are there's a there are paths here. They're just not as likely. So you know, keep an eye on what happens in the first quarter. If Alabama is able to come out and they have 100 total yards, and it's not on like an 80 yard touchdown, get excited because that's the kind of thing Alabama is going to need. If we're walking out of the first quarter and it looks like what happened against Auburn, um, buckle up because that's that is a recipe for disaster. If if the Georgia front and it can do what Auburn did to Alabama's offense, Alabama could potentially get shut out. It could get that ugly. So that's stuff to just keep an eye on in this game. It's not impossible. It's just unlikely as far as I can see. Yeah, you know, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, uh, how Alabama plays in this game. I think they're capable of winning it. I just don't know if they're healthy enough. Uh, and then if they can finally play their best game at the best time. But we certainly will see, and we'll break it all down next week on BAMS Radio. Uh, you know, and we'll continue to talk hoops. Alabama looks like they're on their way to a six and one start with an impressive win over Miami. Uh, and so uh, we, we, you know, and I, I think uh, you know, right now, uh, it, recruiting is a huge part of the conversation. December the fifteenth will be here before we know it, as William said. 
Alabama is putting themselves in position, I think, uh, to finish very strong in recruiting. And now, wow, uh, with the eight-minute timeout, Alabama's lead grown to near 30 over Miami, 70-44, to 44, kind of a breakout game for uh, J.D. Davidson. So uh, going to be a fun night for Alabama basketball tonight, no doubt, against the Miami Hurricanes and Jimmy Larinaga. But, yeah, I mean, this is just probably the first time and probably the least confident I've ever been in a Nick Saban team going into a game. Uh, and, and we'll just have to see how they respond. The one thing that you can hold true is this Alabama team has not come close to playing their best game. Can they do it? We'll see. How healthy will Brian Robinson be? And Alabama's going to fight like hell. They're not. They won't quit until zeros in the fourth quarter. So I'll ride oh, with that I any day, that. Drew. Yeah, they they will not quit. They have not quit all year. They have battled. And I said that today on Twitter. I told somebody. I said, I'll tell you something, man. I guess you think Oklahoma. Uh, you know, is is a great football. I mean, excuse me, that Georgia's a great football team. Sorry, I got Lincoln Riley on the brain because he's going to, to Southern Cal and, they, and Oklahoma's got players jumping ship. But I know I told the guys, I know you think Georgia's going to win by 10 plus and they may very well. Uh, but I'll say this. I know Alabama's going to fight. I know they're going to compete. They're not going to lay down uh, against Kirby Freeze. I know that. I know they won't. I know they'll play hard. I just don't know if they're good enough this year. But certainly, I think they have the kind of team that can scare Georgia. They have a much better offense, even with the banged-up guys, than anything Georgia's played. Georgia has not played a great schedule. Alabama's played a much more difficult one. So we'll see. We'll see what Alabama can do. Uh, And then, again, Brian Robinson's health is going to be a huge part of this. Uh, And then what they can get out of Trey Sanders and what kind of game Alabama calls. Doug Marone, Bill O'Brien, they're going to be burning the midnight oil. But we'll break it all down next Sunday, and we'll continue to talk Alabama hoops for Thomas Watts, for William Redfish Barger. Enjoy the rest of the hoops tonight. But we appreciate all the support of our podcast and all the uh, positive reinforcement. And, again, continue uh, to pay homage to our great friend Cecil Hurt. May he rest in peace. Uh, And uh, good night, everybody, and roll tide.